Good morning. I'm Katie, and it's a pleasure to be with you. And I am especially pleased to hear a full reading of 1 Corinthians 14. I don't know anyone else. Woo! <laughs> Give it up for a reading on prophecy. So thank you, Kim. I really appreciate that. Um, as most of you know, we're on a journey through the book of 1 Corinthians. We're almost at the end. We're in chapter 14 of a 16-chapter book. Um, and in this chapter, chapter 14, um, Paul is beginning to tie together a longer argument that he's made beginning in chapter 12 and now wrapping up in chapter 14. In chapter 12, he's talking about the spiritual gifts and how they're to be used to edify and build up the body, which is the church. And then in chapter 13, which we read last week, and Liz gave us a wonderful reflection on, Paul offers us this beautiful meditation on love, on the love of God that we are meant to emulate and to walk in. And in chapter 14, he's tying these two chapters together, and he asks the Corinthians, are you pursuing love when you use your spiritual gifts? Because according to Paul, the test of every action in the church, of every action we take collectively and individually, the test for every action is whether we are using our gifts to strengthen the community. For his, as he said earlier in the book, in chapter 8, verse 12, he says, love builds up. It's not envious. It's not self-serving. It's not rude. It's not resentful. And our exercise of our gifts should never reflect those qualities either. And so then Paul uses the rest of chapter 14 to illustrate the difference between using our gifts to build up the church versus when we use our gifts to edify or to puff up ourselves. And he does this by offering a contrast between the exercise of the gift of tongues and the gift of prophecy. Now, for those of you who didn't grow up in a tradition where tongues are a spiritual gift that's prominent, tongues refers to the gift of speech where a person makes a sound or they might even use pieces of a real language or an angelic language, but it's a, it almost overrides your senses, right? You're drawn up into this language. It allows you to commune with God. And so sometimes the speaker in tongues won't be able to articulate or maybe to even translate their own speech because they're not maybe even conscious of what they're saying in their worship. And so unless somebody else that's present or the speaker offers a translation, the speaker and the hearers may not understand each other. And maybe some of you have had the experience of being in a church where someone will speak in tongues and you don't know what they're saying or why they're saying it, and it, you end up feeling confused. Well, that's what Paul's talking about. He's saying, if you're going to exercise the gift of tongues in the body, in a gathered group, then you need to either offer a translation yourself or somebody else needs to be given the gift of translation. Or else we're going to be foreigners to each other, right? It's going to be as if we're coming from foreign countries, even though we're in one body together. But he says the speaker themselves, they experience the gift of tongues as this deep moment of communion with God. They're drawn up into the love of God, the love that the Holy, the persons of the Trinity have for each other. And that comes out in this overflowing of love and praise and thanksgiving 
But again, if no one around you is able to be drawn into that experience, it's just because you're private love fest with God, right? And you're, this just is your private love language between the speaker and God, and nobody else is edified by that. And so Paul notes in verse 17, he says, this love language that is between you and God can actually become a real barrier to the worship of the church if it's not motivated when you express tongues with love for the people who are around you. If that's not your motivation for praying in tongues, then it's going to be devoid of any power. And so in the case of the Corinthians, he says that even though, as he says in the very beginning of the book in verses chapter one, verse five, he says, you're rich in speech, right? This is a community that experiences tongues as a regular part of their worship. He says, but here's the problem is that you are using the gift of tongues to just show off your spiritual maturity. You're not thinking about the people around you and whether you're drawing them into the experience of worship. You're definitely not pursuing love. And so he says in sarcastically in verses 16, 17, he says, you very well might be giving thanks to God and you might be offering this beautiful prayer of blessing, but nobody else gets it, right? And so what is the point? What is the point? Because without interpretation and without love, your angelic language is just like a noisy clong, noisy gong and a clanging cymbal, right? It's just distracting everyone around you. And it's perhaps even overshadowing the contributions that others might want to make to the worship experience. And then Paul shifts and he says, but here's this gift in the church that I think you all need to pursue because it builds up the entire body. And that's the gift of prophecy. This is a spiritual gift that Paul encourages every single believer. And so that means all of us. This is a gift that he encourages all of us to seek because this is the gift that he thinks encourages and strengthens the community. Now, let's back up a second. We probably have all heard the word prophecy and we all have our notions of what that might mean, particularly coming out of the Old Testament. And so is Paul just talking here about foretelling the future, the ability to see what's ahead politically and to project that and let the church and the wider world know what's coming? That doesn't seem to be all that Paul is talking about here, right? It's not even just a flash of insight that you might have in a moment of prayer with someone where you get some deep insight into their inner life, right? He's not even talking about that, although that could be included in prophecy. Rather, for Paul... Prophecy seems to refer to this Holy Spirit-inspired wisdom and understanding. It's the ability to offer correction to the body. It's the ability to instruct each other in the scriptures. And when we use the gift of prophecy, what it actually does is it equips and enables all of us to know God's will for our, for, to know what God's will is for this body collectively. And so Paul then encourages speakers to consider their motivations when they're offering a song or a lesson or a revelation or speaking in tongues. He says, consider what it is that is motivating you before you speak. And if you're only concerned, if when you reflect on what you've just believed God has revealed to you and you realize internally that you just want other people to think you're really mature or wise or that you have wonderful insights, then don't bother, right? <laughs> Just remain quiet. Because 
your heart is not in the right place. And so reflect first and determine if you are really interested in strengthening and benefiting the entire community. And only once you can answer to the affirmative should you decide whether you're going to offer that word for the body. But the church, right, so all of us also has a role when someone offers a word of prophecy. We're not supposed to just passively sit and receive what our teachers offer us, what fellow believers might say they believe that the Holy Spirit has revealed to them, right? The church has a role as well. We don't passively sit and just reflect and absorb what has been said, but rather in verse 29, Paul says to the church, he says, you have received the mind of Christ. And because you have received the mind of Christ, you have the ability to evaluate, to prayerfully consider the truth of what has just been spoken. And only when you have prayerfully considered what has just been said, do you offer your amen, right? The end of every prayer, we say amen. But how often do we reflect and say, hmm, do I really assent to everything that was just said? And if you don't, then Paul is encouraging us to withhold your amen, right? Withhold your assent from what has just been spoken. Use the mind of Christ to discern what is being offered by teachers and fellow Christians. And so according to 1 Corinthians, he makes this nice, he makes this shift, right, that uh, commentators aren't quite sure what to do with, and that's the shift to talking about women. And I want to offer a little bit of context for this, because earlier in the book of 1 Corinthians, Paul has already spoken about the role of women in the church. And he says, in fact, that women are not excluded from the call to prophesy and to pray. And in fact, he acknowledges that women prophesy and pray in the body. And so what do we make of this little inclusio where Paul seems to say, I shouldn't be doing what I'm doing, right? So what do we do with that? Well, there's a lot of ways to think about it, but I'm going to offer you one way to think about these verses. So if Paul's concern here is with the edification of the body and orderly worship and allowing everyone to participate in the life of the church, then it's going to be a real problem if there's a group of people in the church who are talking amongst themselves, who are raising questions that are disruptive to the body. And it wouldn't have been uncommon for women of this time to not have access to the same education that their husbands would have had, right? And so it wouldn't have been unusual for them to have questions about the revelations in the scripture that's just been read. And so Paul offers a really practical solution to this. He says, husbands should clarify the teachings and the revelation that has been offered in the church so that everyone can participate in a decent and orderly manner, right? So he's inviting husbands to assist the spiritual formation of his wives, he's, their wives, and he's being really practical about this. Again, we've seen Paul throughout this book exhibiting a real concern for members of the community who otherwise wouldn't be able to participate, who are seen as weak by their fellow church members. And so I think what Paul is offering us is a real way to balance the concern for the wider body, right? You don't want people asking questions and interjecting in the middle of worship. So he's trying to balance the concern for the worship experience of the entire community with a concern for a group within the church that could very well be seen as weak in terms of their knowledge, 
that they're bringing in order to interpret the, the teachings that they're hearing. And so I choose to think that this is a really lovely way that Paul is inviting us to care for the weaker members of our church, of which we have many, right? We are all at different education levels and spiritual maturity levels. And I think that this is a real invitation for us to consider those among us who are weaker and to consider how we use our home environments to nurture those people who are weaker among us, including our children, right? Or spouses that have just come to the faith. So I really think there's some broader implications for what Paul is saying in what seems like a very narrow instruction towards women. And so Paul actually circles back around and he says at the very close of this chapter, he says, I encourage men and women to be eager to prophesy and to speak in tongues. Just be orderly and respectful, right? When I was looking at this, one of the things I found was really interesting is that this chapter actually doesn't show up in a lot of lectionaries. Um, it, and it doesn't show up in a lot of lectionaries. And I think that raises an interesting question for those of us who are in a tradition that seems to offer a pretty rigid liturgy, right? With doesn't always feel like there's a lot of space for the movement of the Holy Spirit. And so I think what Paul is asking in this chapter is whether this picture of the church matches our reality, right? So is this movement of the Holy Spirit, the speaking in tongues, the offering words of prophecy, is this, and it is his picture of the Corinthian church, does it match our reality? And some commentators would say the fact that we seem to skirt around this chapter might indicate our own uncomfortability with these gifts. And I have to say, I agree. And so I have a couple questions for us related to the gifts of prophecy and tongues. The first is, are you eager or maybe too eager to offer a word of encouragement or rebuke to your brothers and sisters? Or maybe this is you. Do you ever feel nervous or unsure when you feel like you've received a word of revelation from God in a small group or noontime prayer? And do you regularly sort of feel a sense of resistance about praying for other people or maybe testing what you think you've heard? Or maybe you have the other issue, which is that you are so confident that the words you've received from God is for this person right now, and you are happy to just rush in and say what's on your heart without really considering the impact that your words might have on the person that you're speaking to. Or maybe if you've grown up in a tradition where tongues are a regular practice, then you've been guilty of using the gift of tongues to show how spiritually mature you are. And you're not overly concerned about whether the people around you understand. Or maybe you just think this whole discussion of prophecy and the gift of tongues is just a little too scary and a little too weird. And you're not sure you really want to follow Paul's advice and ask for either of these gifts right? You're just, you're just not sure. You're like, I don't really want to touch this. I'm happy to ask for some of those other gifts, 
but prophecy in tongues just feels a little too, little too strange. Well, I think that in the face of our pride, our fear, maybe a little bit of our unbelief that God would desire to give us these gifts. I think what Paul's doing is he's inviting us to pray that God would help us to desire these gifts. And so as we head into our reflection time, I'm going to do just that. (laughs) I'm going to pray, and I'm going to pray for these gifts in our community. I'm going to pray that we see more of them more often, and that God would inspire our reflections so that we use these gifts in ways that benefit each other. And before I pray, we have two microphones. We're going to have just a time of reflection on this chapter, all of the book of 1 Corinthians that we've read so far, just anything God brings to mind. We're going to sit in a little bit of uncomfortable silence and just let God move among us. And I would encourage you, if you're someone who feels reticent, to test whether God's asking you to push past some of your fear in your uncertainty for the benefit of this community. And Zoomers, I haven't forgotten you. If you have any thoughts that you that come to mind, I encourage you to write those in the chat box and we will make sure they get shared with this group. So let me pray for us. Dear Lord, you are the giver of all good gifts. And you have told us through your servant, Paul, to desire the gifts of prophecy and tongues so that we may build up and encourage our fellow believers. Help us to believe you. Help us to trust you for these gifts and for the ways that you long to move in our community. I pray that you would cast out any anxiety or fear. But most of all, Lord, we desire to hear from you. We long to know your will in all things. We long to love each other well. And we long to be drawn up into your love. Amen.